0: If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Luke. You ready for some teaching this morning? We believe in getting uh, passionate in worship and then passionately looking at the Word, exploring the Word, teaching the Word. And so we're doing a study in the book of Luke, and right now we're hovering over a segment of scriptures and using them sort of as a launching pad to talk more generally about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. In the last two weeks, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity, This morning, I want to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, I want to entitle this, Filled with Fire and Power, which kind of gives you the answer already, I suppose. But let's just go through the message anyways. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 40, we're reading out of the TNIV version. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who you recall was John the Baptist, who was already filled with the Holy Spirit, the baby leaped in her womb, and then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. As we've seen throughout this uh, series so far in Luke, we're at the inauguration stages of this new revolution that's taking place, the revolution that really began Uh, with the ministry of Jesus and there's things in this inaugural stage of the revolution that we're reading about in the early chapters of Luke that really are indications of what this coming kingdom is going to be like and what we're seeing here is is that the coming kingdom is going to be a kingdom where people are filled with the spirit right from the get-go Luke highlights the role that the Holy Spirit is playing in these people's lives Now, this is a central biblical teaching, but it's also something that's central for us as a community. God has given Woodland Hills Church a vision, and our whole reason for being together is to carry out this vision. Here's what the vision statement that that we share in common has. It says this. We we covenant to be a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area. And then to the world as the Lord leads, working hand in hand with other expressions of the body of Christ until all have reached fullness in Christ. I just want to highlight the first clause of that vision statement. What we aspire collectively to be is a community of spiritually empowered people, which means we don't want to just be a bunch of people who come together who happen to believe certain things and do certain behaviors and listen to certain sermons and sing certain songs. Rather, we want to be a Holy Spirit community. A community that doesn't just uh, do things out of our own resources with our own ingenuity and our own planning. But we want to be a community that is really uh, immersed in the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, inflamed by the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God. Amen? There's no way we'll carry out this vision unless we are spiritually empowered. And so this whole message about being filled with the Spirit, It's not just central from a biblical perspective, though it certainly is that, but it's central to who we are. We need this. And so before I enter into this message, I want to pray. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit shows up. I'd like to ask some people around the auditorium to just be praying for the Holy Spirit to come as this message is going forward. Uh, Would you raise your hand if you'll covenant to be an intercessor for this message? Appreciate that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We ask you, Lord, to fill this place, fill our minds, fill our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, in your power. Come, Holy Spirit, in your passion. Come, Holy Spirit, in your fire. Come, Holy Spirit, in your life. Come, Holy Spirit, in your freedom, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit, and empower us to be the people that you've called us to be, to carry out the vision you've, you've, you've called us to carry out. And, Lord, right here right now, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in this message. Infuse it with your authority to do the work that you, need know, that you know needs to be done. And we give Jesus Christ the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. When you're talking about the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're entering into controversial territory, uh, as some of you, I'm sure, already know. And so I want to structure this message around three questions. Uh, The first two are commonly asked questions. The third one is the question that's rarely asked but should be asked. The first two are are rather controversial. But we're not afraid of controversy here, are we? I know it's controversial, but I'll I'll give you the the right position on this. All right, so here we go. There's three questions. The truth, nothing but the truth. Three questions that are commonly asked, or the first two at least are commonly asked, with regard to what does it mean to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Question number one. Is the infilling of the Holy Spirit distinct from simply believing? Is it an experience that's distinct from salvation? Now there's two schools of thought on this. The first school of thought says that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with believing and synonymous with salvation. Once you believe, once you're saved... Uh, you have all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. So you're filled with the Holy Spirit by virtue of believing. And the reason they hold this view is because um, the Bible clearly teaches that you can't believe without the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says that no one can confess Jesus Christ as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we said several weeks ago that every movement we make towards God is it's not our initiative. It's God's initiative. That's the Holy Spirit working in our life. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, he says that, that every believer who belongs to Christ has the Holy Spirit. And so it's very clear that if you are a believer and if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit because you wouldn't be a believer and wouldn't be saved unless you had the Holy Spirit. But does that mean that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? The first group says yes. The second group says no. The second group says that there is a distinct experience of being filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some make a distinction between those two, but for the purposes of this morning, we can can equate them. That experience of being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit is something distinct from simply believing and distinct from being saved. And Wolden Hills Church, you should know, aligns itself with that second school of thought. What I want to do is go through seven passages of Scripture very briefly, but we're going to get a lot of Scripture here, that I think conclusively show that the infilling of the Spirit is different from simply believing. Okay, so seven passages of Scripture. The first one comes from the book of Acts. In fact, most of them come from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4, and 5, and 8. Here it says that while Jesus was staying with them, this is just before he ascends into heaven, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Here's what the promise was. This, he said, is what you've heard from me, this promise. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses later, he says, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then several weeks later, this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the 120 were in the upper room and the Spirit of God fell on all of them. I want us to notice this. These folks were already believers, they committed their life to Jesus, they'd been around Jesus for three years, they'd been around the resurrected Jesus. And yet Jesus said that while all that is good and wonderful, there's something else that you need. And I don't want you to leave Jerusalem until you get it. The thing that you need is the thing that I've been talking about throughout my ministry. In fact, it's the thing that John the Baptist talked about when he says that I will, though he baptizes with water, I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That promise is going to come to you. And I don't want you to go out and try to be witnesses to all the world until you get that promise, that power that's from on high. The passage clearly presupposes that it's one thing to be a believer, it's another thing to be a filled believer, a person who's been baptized in the Spirit. Acts chapter 4. When they, referring to the apostles and now some other disciples, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. This was a move of God here. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now note, everyone in that room is already a believer But as they were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. I want us to notice that most of these people had already been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which tells us that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens once, once and for all, and kind of quantum leaps you up to a new level of of relationship with God, and then you can coast. Like, I was filled 40 years ago, and I've been filled ever since. Rather, it's something that the believer is to aspire towards on a regular basis. This is why Paul says this in Ephesians chapter chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine. Use scotch. Only kidding. Do not get drunk with wine. (laughs) I never liked wine anyways. Give me the... No. Don't get drunk with alcohol. That leads to debauchery. But rather, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He's he's doing an analogy there. Instead of filling yourself up with with alcohol, uh, get yourself filled up with the Holy Spirit. Instead of being intoxicated outside of yourself because of of, uh, alcohol, be intoxicated with God. And just like someone who might reek with alcohol, you know, you ever been someone who's been drinking a lot? They sweat alcohol. You can smell it on them. Well, well, we need to sweat God. We need to have an aroma of God. And, and Paul, amen. And, and to be, you know, in the same way that alcohol can control what you say and control what you do for the worse, so also the Spirit of God, when you get filled with the Spirit of God and intoxicated with the Spirit of God, he it, it can control what you say and control what you do, and it doesn't lead to debauchery. It leads to spreading the kingdom of God. But notice here that Paul's talking to believers. These people are already converts. They already have committed their life to Christ. And yet he says, be filled. Be filled. So obviously, being a believer is not synonymous with being filled. In fact, the, the, the phrase here uh, is in the, 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 the present perfect tense, which means it could be translated and, in fact, should be translated, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's to be be the hunger and the heart's desire of the believer to be saying, Lord, fill me. Fill me today. Yesterday's filling was wonderful, but I don't want to coast at it. Fill me today. In Acts chapter 6, to continue on, this is our fourth verse. Here the apostles are getting stressed out because they, they have so many practical matters to deal with in the fellowship that they can't attend to the Word. So they say, therefore, friends, talking to their congregation, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we, whom we may appoint to the task of ministering to people in this congregation. Now, now notice this. They're talking to people and they say, You find someone who has a good reputation, someone who's got a lot of wisdom, but there's this third thing they need to have they need to be God intoxicated, they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fact that that is a distinctive thing that you're supposed to look for shows that it's not something all the believers had. Rather, it's something that all believers are supposed to have, but only some, in fact, have. And so he's saying, find us people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8. But when they believed Philip, referring to the Samaritans, he's an evangelist to the Samaritans here. And they believed Philip. They accepted Jesus. Philip was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. When they believed him, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, who was this sorcerer, he believed After being baptized, Simon uh, uh, stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and the great miracles that were taking place. So, you've got a revival going on in Samaria. These people are believing, they're they're obeying, they're being baptized, there's signs and wonders. Another verse said that they had great joy. And yet, something was missing. Philip saw something was missing. And so the passage continues. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. These people believed. The people were baptized. The people had signs and wonders. Most people today would say, hallelujah, we've got it all. But the, the apostles, just like Jesus, was, was, was looking for something to fall from heaven uh, when they were in Jerusalem. So also here the apostles are saying something hasn't fallen yet. There's something that's missing here. They haven't had that experience that we had on the day of Pentecost. We need to call the apostles and lay hands on them that they might receive the power from on high, the Holy Spirit. Being a believer is not the same as being a filled believer. Acts 19, while Apollos was in Corinth... Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. Okay, so these are disciples. He said to them, Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Or it could be translated after you became believers. And they replied, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So here Paul comes upon these people. They have a a kind of a rudimentary rudimentary, uh, understanding of Jesus. They're disciples. They've committed their life to following Jesus. And and so Paul comes upon them, and he, he senses that something's missing. And so he says, he gives them a little theological quiz here. Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, or after you believed? Have you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? And now he finds out what the problem was, that they weren't even instructed that there was a Holy Spirit. Clearly, being a believer and being filled are different things. Finally, Luke chapter 11. If you then, who are evil, he's talking about us here, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, you wouldn't even be a believer if you didn't have the Holy Spirit working in your life. But Jesus, so you don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit in that sense. But Jesus is saying that just as you love to lavish on your kids' gifts, so also the Heavenly Father wants to lavish on you the Holy Spirit, but you have to ask Him. Ask Him for the Holy Spirit, and He longs to pour that out on you. Again, the the people He's talking to are disciples already, and so they have the Holy Spirit to that degree because they couldn't be disciples without the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus is saying "There's that, that, that thing that John the Baptist was talking about, this baptism of the Spirit, this infilling of the Holy Spirit, that is available to you if only you'll ask, and the Father will give it. Bringing this all together, what it tells us here is this. It's entirely possible to be a committed believer and not be filled with God. It's entirely possible to be a committed believer and not be baptized in the Spirit. It's entirely possible to be a believer and yet be, in fact, spiritually empty. It's possible to be a believer and yet live your life in the natural without any supernatural dimension to it whatsoever. It's possible to be a believer and and every decision you make, you do on, on the basis of your natural mind, your natural reasoning. It's possible to be a believer and everything you do, you do on the basis of your own natural resources. You evaluate all of life in terms of what you're capable of instead of what God is capable of. In fact, all of us at times are in that position where we're believers, we're still committed to Christ, but everything that's real about the kingdom isn't present in our life. The Spirit isn't around us, the Spirit isn't filling us up. Our life doesn't have a supernatural dimension to it. In fact, what concerns me is I think that that is so prevalent in uh, the church today that that's kind of normative. That empty kind of Christian living is normative. That minimalistic sort of Christianity is normative. That kind of Christianity where the only thing that's distinctive about people is that they believe something different, but in terms of how they experience life and how they do life, well, they do it and experience it just like all other people. It's normative for the Christianity of today, but it's not normative in the New Testament. Over and over again, the New Testament folks, they were, like, they were saying, Let's, wait, wait, put everything on hold because the power isn't here. The fire isn't here. That supernatural dimension of walking with God isn't here. And, and we need to pray until we receive it. The reality is this. Believers, disciples, kingdom people here this morning, and those who are listening by radio later on, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. God doesn't want a minimalistic, you know, middle-of-the-road, mediocre, play-it-safe, Americanized kind of a Christianity. God wants to live life through you. He wants to come into you. He wants to intoxicate you. He wants to fill you up, overflow in you, transform you, and bring a supernatural dimension of your life. He wants to fill you with power. That's what's normative in the kingdom of God. It's it's to be a spirit-filled kingdom, a spirit-filled revolution. Never settle for minimalistic Christianity. Never settle for the just get by Christianity. Never settle for the cheapest deal kind of Christianity. Never settle for the naturalistic Christianity where you believe a different different set of beliefs, but you still do life as though you were Lord of your own life and calling your own shots and just using your own brain and using your own resources. No, don't settle for the minimal. God wants to fill you up, intoxicate you, and fill you with fire. I know people, and maybe there are some here this morning who would be in this category where where that kind of Christianity I just described, the spirit-filled Christianity, they'd be inclined to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, man, I remember the time when God poured out His Spirit on us and we were just all, oh, we were filled and we were moved and we were slain and we were laughing and we were jumping and those were the days, weren't they? Back in the good old days when the Holy Ghost moved. I remember the Toronto Blessing or the Brownsville Revival or down in Argentina or over there in Germany or Switzerland or whatever. Years ago, God really moved. I get so tired of hearing that. It's over there or it's back there. That's kind of like... It's kind of like, you know, somebody comes in for marriage counseling, a couple comes in for marriage counseling, and they start talking about how good their marriage used to be. Well, that's kind of irrelevant now, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, How it used to be just doesn't matter. Thank God for the good times in the past. But we need to understand that God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. He's the God of the now, not the God of the past. He wants to fill you now. He wants to move in you now. He wants to send revival now. He wants to pour out a Spirit on you individually and on us collectively now, today. He wants us to be God-intoxicated in the present. So there is this thing, believer, there is this thing called being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's something we're to aspire for. We can't achieve it. We can ask for it and be open to it and yield to it, and God wants just that for our life. Now the second question enters us really into the controversy zone. What is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Here's what's controversial. Many of you, I suspect, like me, were taught that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, you always speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence, they used to say. Uh, of of the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit and and the reason the folks believe that and they believe it sincerely and it's It's and you see and I I'm all for for tongues. I, I I myself practice that I it's it's a good thing but um, Things happen when you set that up as the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason the folks sincerely believe that is because in three examples in the book of Acts, you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit accompanied by speaking in tongues. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, speaking in tongues is when a person speaks in a foreign language that they never learned. It's a Spirit-inspired language. It can be a human language or it can be an angelic language. But it's a supernatural gift and it's available today and we're all for it uh, in, in the right context. And three examples in the book of Acts, people are filled with the Holy Spirit and then speak in tongues. And so these folks say that whenever anyone's filled with the Holy Spirit, they ought to speak in tongues. Now, I was actually a Pentecostal pastor for a number of years in a Pentecostal church. I was associate pastor. And I've seen firsthand, and I think a, a number of people here probably have seen firsthand, some of the funky things that happen when you embrace that theology. Uh, one thing that happens very quickly is you develop a two-class Christianity. And you've got the tongue talkers and the non-tongue talkers. And the assumption is that those people are filled with the Holy Spirit and these other folks are not ho- filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's wrong with you? You see, and there's the, So there's, the, there's the, the haves and the, the wannabes. And, uh, and then there's really pressure put on the wannabes who haven't spoken in tongues because if you're in this social you know, context, there's something defective with you because you haven't spoken in tongues yet because that means you're not filled with the Spirit. And then you end up doing a lot of things that are not at all in the Bible, where you try to help people speak in tongues. How, how many have been helped to speak in tongues? I, so, so, you see, loosen up that jaw, come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. They rock you back and forth, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. You know, and... It, it just creates a, a, a kind of a funky environment And the people are sincere They really are feeling like Oh, why, why, why aren't you giving me this gift? You said if I ask, you'll give it to me And they're asking and they're not getting it And it just creates all sorts of weird introspection And, and then, they, then you got people who try to speak in tongues And they're sincere But they're, they're really trying to speak in tongues And, and, and it's kind of clear that they're trying to speak in tongues uh, This is not like any foreign language I mean, you've got to cut a lot of slack Because who knows what angels sound like, right? But uh, people are just, like, stuttering in tongues. <laughs> it's, uh, let it go. He's just giving it. A... I read a book back in my day uh, that actually taught you how to speak in tongues. I'm serious. I bet some other people here have read it. It was uh, how to speak in tongues. And, and, and among other things, the person, you know, here, two pieces of advice. One is start praying, but refuse to pray in your native language. Pray v- loud and vigorously, but refuse to talk English. Uh, Number two is he gave you some syllables to, to get a jump-started. Come <laughs> see, come saw, come sue, come some, come, 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 you know, whatever. It's like, man, that, see, that just sort of cheapens the whole thing. And then you got people who look at that and they go, well, that's not real. So then there's no tongues that are real at all. Uh, the, the bottom line is that, that that thinking I submit to you is, is, is rather misguided. It, 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 it's misguided. Now let me just run through a few biblical points here. First, it's true that in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19, you do have it s- described that when people received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. That's true. But you also have a number of instances where people received the Holy Spirit or were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they didn't speak in tongues. In fact, the passage you read this morning, Elizabeth received the Holy Spirit, and she gave a prophetic word, but she didn't speak in tongues. And it said about five verses ago, which is about two months ago now, that John the Baptist received the Holy Spirit while he was still in the womb. Womb. But he didn't speak in tongues, which would have been weird if he did, if you think about it. That would have freaked, freaked Elizabeth out. What's happening to my child? <laughs> and then she would have went to an exorcist, and that would have ruined everything. So I... So you got a lot of instances where people in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter uh, 8 and in Acts chapter 9 and in other instances, people receive the Holy Spirit, are baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, and they don't speak in tongues. Second thing is that even in Acts 2 and in Acts 10 and in Acts 19, yes, people speak in tongues, but it also said they do other things. The most common thing it says they do is prophesy or, or speak the word of God boldly. And then in some of those instances where it doesn't mention speaking in tongues, it mentions these other things. The Spirit of God falls on people and they prophesy or they proclaim the Word of God or the Spirit of God falls on them. Peter teaches this in Acts chapter 2. And they receive supernaturally inspired visions or supernaturally inspired dreams or they receive the capacity to do supernatural signs and wonders or they they receive uh, the supernatural joy of God. The point is this, there's a lot of things that the Bible describes happens when you receive the Holy Spirit and there's just no warrant to reduce it all down to tongues. But the most fundamental problem with that approach is this, and this applies to a lot of things, so listen up on this. It's really important that we distinguish between what the Bible describes and what the Bible prescribes. The Bible describes a lot of things that it doesn't prescribe. For example, uh, you have described once in the Bible uh, a case where someone tests God and God actually acquiesces to their test. Gideon's fleece, where, you know, God told him what to do. It was very clear. There should be no question here. But Gideon is cowardly and scared. And what's going to happen to me? So he has to throw out and he has to test God three times with his fleece experiment. You you know the story. I hope he judges. Now, God, God, God played the game there because that's where Gideon was at. The Bible describes that, but it doesn't prescribe that. It doesn't say, here's how you find out what God's will is. Test him. He'll always meet your conditions. You you throw out the the deal here, and and then he's got to acquiesce to that. That's really a dangerous thing to do. It's unbiblical. The fact that the Bible describes one instance of that doesn't mean that it prescribes that as a way to discover God's will. There are people who sometimes do this with God with a plain Bible roulette where they say, oh God, I need a verse, I need a verse. Uh, Okay, God, here's the deal. I always call the shots, you know. I'm going to open my Bible, and the first verse I read will be your word for me. And boom, you open it up, and it says, you know, he went out and hung himself. Or, you know, something. (laughs) That's really not a a good approach. So we need to distinguish it. There's one instance where God, you may recall this, where, where God actually inspired a donkey to give spiritual advice to a prophet. Good. You got the distinction. I I don't want anybody in my congregation going to an animal farm and uh, asking donkeys for advice. (laughs) Hey, it's in the Bible. This this donkey looks wise, you know. All right. So even if the Bible described repeatedly people speaking in tongues when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Bible doesn't teach that that's what's supposed to happen, we shouldn't teach that that's what's supposed to happen. Because there's a difference between what is described and what is prescribed. And the final thing I'd simply say is this. There's a passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is talking about the gifts, and he's showing the diversity of gifts in, in the body. And then he says, he says to the Corinthians, look at and, and the rhetorical questions. In the Greek, it's very clear the rhetorical. He says, are all prophets? Are all apostles? Are all teachers? Of course not. Do all have the ability to do miracles? Do all, do all you know, have the ability to heal? Of course not. And then he says does everyone speak in tongues or does everyone interpret tongues? And the answer is, of course not. Now, if tongues was always the thing that accompanied being filled with the Holy Spirit and all believers are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then Paul would have to assume that all believers are supposed to speak in tongues and then he couldn't say what he just said there. The reality is, is that there's different gifts out there. Tongues is a marvelous gift that's out there, but we've got to be careful not to elevate it to the the sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So, what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh my gosh, it's getting, obviously being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you're succinct in what you say. That's not one of the signs. Look, at the, I submit to you that that is the wrong question. That is entirely the wrong question to ask. Because see, the minute you start saying, what's the evidence, you, you activate the detective in your mind, because detectives look for evidence. What's the evidence of having received the Holy Spirit? And whatever answer you come up with, now you're going to be wearing those spectacles that are looking for those evidence. And now you're going to form a club, the Holy Spirit Club. And the Holy Spirit Club consists of all those who have passed the evidence and all those who don't have the evidence uh, aren't in. But regardless of what else is in their life. And so you, you form an us-them, two-class kind of Christianity. It's really no different than the kind of silly thing that religious people often do when they come up with graded sinless. That also is a detective thing. Here's the sin list. And our sins, of course, even though they're the most frequently mentioned in the Bible, uh, those are the minimal ones. And and their sins, uh, those are the major ones, even though you hardly ever read about them. And so if you have their sins, those are deal-breaker sins. You're on the outside. But if you struggle with our sins, well, those are not deal-breaker sins, so you can still be on the inside. Silly, silly religious nonsense. You know, but you're doing the same thing. One is a a, a detective of salvation. Who's really saved and who's not saved? And we'll tell you because we're the detectives. It's the same thing with who's really filled with the Spirit and who's not filled. Well, have you met the evidence? Here, let's let's look at the evidence here. It's it's really silliness. If you understand the gospel, you understand this one core crucial fact. All the detectives have been fired. (laughs) There's no, you've been unemployed. There's no more room for detectives. No need for detectives. Amen, because the reality of the situation here is this. I've got, I'm sure, I, I'm more advanced than, than you in some spiritual areas. But you know what? You're more advanced than me in some spiritual areas. And I probably got struggles and shortcomings in sin that you don't have. And you got struggles and, and shortcomings in sin that I don't have. And I've got gifts that you don't have. And you've got gifts that I don't have. Big hairy deal. This isn't a competition. There's no, we don't need to be comparing notes. The only, reason, the only reason people do that kind of silliness is because they're trying to feed their pathetically empty selves with a modicum of worth, and, and so they've got to find somebody who they think is behind them on the, on, on, the, on the holiness race. Well, there's no race. We're all in process. We're all sinners saved by grace, and so we can just unemploy the detectives. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you, look, at, that's very different than—and i got to say this very briefly— But that's very different than if you or I are in a relationship together and you've invited me in on your life and I've invited you in on my life. We're part of a covenant community and I've asked you to say, I've asked you uh, to, to help me walk out this Christian life and you've asked me to help you walk out the Christian life. That's where everything the Bible says about accountability fits that context. The Bible presupposes these small group contexts. That's why we need to be involved in small groups. But when we extrapolate what is appropriate to an intimate community and try to uh, to apply it to the world at large, now we're detectives who end up looking for specks in other people's eyes when we've got two by fours coming out of our own eyes. All right. So, so asking for evidence, looking for evidence, is the wrong question. What is the right question? And I got to end with this. The right question is this: What does the infilling of the Holy Spirit do? What does the infilling of the Holy Spirit do? And here there's no formula, but we can describe it generally this way. Everything the Bible says the infilling of the Holy Spirit does falls into two categories that are closely related. He brings supernatural fire and he brings supernatural power. Fire and power. That's why John the Baptist says that that, that Jesus, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a fire that's involved in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, He says, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high and then you'll be witnesses to me. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the infilling of God's fire. It's the fire of God's heart. The fire of God's heart that burns for the lost, that burns for hurting people, that burns for justice, that burns for reconciliation. And when you're open to it and ask Him for it, He takes that fire and He puts it in your heart. And now you've been baptized in fire. And so the way God feels about the world, you begin to feel about the world. You get a passion for conviction and a passion for worship and a passion for growing in the Christian life and a passion that's revolting by mediocrity and doing just the normal american religious thing you get this fire in you that kind of sets you apart that kicks you in the butt that gets you out of your lethargic self that that makes you live on the edge makes you be fully alive makes you remember god throughout the day that that causes you to listen to god the holy spirit as he's talking to you and you're walking throughout life's way so you're not just calling your own shot god wants to baptize us with his fire and with that fire comes the power It's the power of God now resident in your life. It's the power that's activated by the fire. The power is that supernatural dimension that God wants all believers to walk in. Uh, Paul describes some of the manifestations in 1 Corinthians 12. Speaking in tongues is one thing that can happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Being able to praise God or pray to God uh, in, in a language that you've never learned. Prophecy is the most common thing that's associated with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is just being able to speak the Word of God straight and boldly to a particular time and a particular place. We need that gift. Word of knowledge, where you know something that you didn't learn naturally, where God just gives you a piece of information to help you minister to somebody. A word of wisdom, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the, the ability to work in miracles, the signs and wonders. All of that is part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And folks, I'm here to tell you, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's time to get out of religion as usual. If that's the game you've been playing, open yourself up and say, God, fill me with your spirit. It's time to get out of mediocre Christianity, middle of the road, mishmash, Americanized Christianity. It's time to step into the powerful, fiery stream of the kingdom and begin to walk in the supernatural rather than just in the natural. It's time for us to radically realize that if God don't show up in our life and if we're not intoxicated with his spirit, the vision he's given us to carry out It's not going to be carried out. We can't crank out what God wants out of us. We can't achieve it. We can't perform it. We can't sing our way into it. We can't study our way into it. We can't preach our way into it. We desperately need God, the Holy Spirit, to fill us, to move us, inflame us, and passion us, praise God. And how do you get that? It's not by reading a book that says, come see, come saw, come sue, come whatever. Jesus said, ask, ask, ask. But the asking isn't a whimsical asking like, you know, as you're going to McDonald's, oh yeah, by the way, give me the Holy Spirit. No. (laughs) To ask is to ask. To realize your desperate need for this. To long for, Lord, pour your Spirit on me. Live your life through me. I yield to you. I want your fire. I want your passion in my life. And so I end by encouraging us to walk out of this place asking God, asking God on a regular basis to fill him with a life that is not your own, a fire that's not your own, a passion that is not your own, to fill you, to move you, to inflame you, to be the the, the kingdom person that God called you to be. Amen. As we're dismissed, I'm going to give a final prayer here, but I want you to know that we'll have a prayer team or two or three up here at the altar if you want to come forward for prayer, maybe to be filled with the Spirit. Feel free to come forward. If you're here this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, over here to my right and your left, there's a person who would love to explain to you how, how that happens. and we'll Give you some free material, no strings attached. We just want you to be a kingdom person that's walking in the, in, in, in the kingdom life. Stand with me as I close in prayer. Father, Pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit. Fill us. Move us. Transform us. Energize us. God, kick us out of our lethargies. Help us to step into the stream of your life. And Lord God, let that river of, of that, that endless river of water flow out of us. Fill us, Lord God. Intoxicate us, Lord God. Move on us. Help us to hear your voice throughout the day, Lord God. Send your fire, Lord. Send your fire, Lord God. Send your fire that is manifested in so many different ways, but we need it, Lord God, on us individually, on our families, and on this community, Woodland Hills community. God, you've given us an awesome vision. We can't carry it out unless you are filling us. We ask you right here, right now, and from henceforward, to fill us, move us, intoxicate us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go out, be filled.